welcome to Two Profs in a Pod. This is Tanisha Baca, Communication Professor at GCC. And I'm Beth Ayers, Composition and Literature Professor at GCC. We both hold faculty developer roles on our campus here at GCC in Arizona. And today, we are going to talk about culturally responsive teaching. And we have a special guest with us today, Karen Bird, English instructor at Glendale Community College. We have asked her to be with us today because we know she is well aware of culturally responsive teaching. She practices it, and she's also shared with our campus before about her practice. So we thought it would help our audience if we had someone like Karen with us today. So Karen, will you tell us just a little bit about uh, maybe how you came to culturally responsive teaching and uh, what makes you Um, a little bit qualified to talk about culturally responsive teaching. Excellent. So hi, I'm Karen. Um, So I started my teaching career over a decade ago um, in the high school setting, and I taught in a very affluent, very um, homogenized kind of setting for three years. And after three years, I left that school and went and taught at an alternative school where the majority of my students were low-income boys of color, which is true for most alternative settings um, in the way that we currently have education. And so it was in the three years I spent at that school that I really learned differentiation. It's where I really learned how much where someone is coming from affects how they're going to learn in the classroom. And so that's kind of where I started my um, thinking process about this with like the Ruby Payne model and and looking at how um, honestly poverty affects students. And then that led into cultural cultural differences. And then coming to GCC, I've had a lot of um, fun in like kind of getting to know our student population and and the diversity that exists here. So yeah, does that answer your question? Yes, Yes. absolutely. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, Yes. it does. One of the things that we always talk about at the beginning of our episode too is, you know, why did we choose to talk about this particular topic? Um, And so in our last podcast, um, culturally responsive teaching came up just yes. very briefly. Yes. And so it seemed like a natural uh, progression to kind of talk about it today. But also, just based on our campus, it it would be a disservice to our students if we weren't talking about culturally responsive teaching because we do have so much diversity on our campus. And I don't have all of the facts of diversity here, but well, I, I will share the little bit that I do have um, which is, um, we, you know, we almost 60% of our population is uh, minority students, and 60% are 20 years or older, and 62% are first-gen students, which, wow, that's huge. It's really high. Yeah. Yes. And I looked up some national data, too, and the national data also addressed all those same topics, and we're higher than the national data on all of those. So nationally, right. um, uh, a third of community college students are first gen, so we're, we're double that, we're a lot more than that. Uh, women are in the majority at both uh, GCC and nationally uh, by a little bit. I don't think we beat national statistics in that one, but we're close. Um, and uh, the Hispanic population in community colleges continues to increase, and the white population is actually decreasing a little bit. These statistics come from the Department of Education through 2016. So they're pretty legit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so demographics are changing nationally, yes, they are. but yes. then also at GCC, 
it, it's it's kind of our duty to mm-hmm. address this because our students are our students demand it. In my opinion, our students demand it. Right. Yeah. And we and I feel like we do definitely have a responsibility. Uh, in communication, when we teach public speaking, one of the first questions we have to, I tell my students, is you always have to consider who is your audience, right? Because who your audience is is going to really indicate and dictate how you're going to do your presentation. So I think it's the mm-hmm. same, the same thing can definitely apply to the classroom, especially with the numbers that we see on uh, our level and also the national level. So what does the research say? Um, you're probably wondering, probably what is culturally responsive teaching. Um, That's a good point. We it, not, what we is it, right? Um, what is culturally responsive teaching or um, what I'll reference as really CRT? Uh, CRT, the focus is really teaching with an understanding of really the cultural makeup of your students, whatever that may be, and really creating a curriculum that really kind of focuses on who they are, where they come from, and also the different cultures cultures that are represented in the classroom. So it's, it's really kind of focusing on the student. I feel like it's really student-centered. And some of the information that I found on the research when it talks about why this information is important, um, one of the things that we often hear about is the achievement gap and how there's a gap between white and minority students. And I found some information uh, from the Encyclopedia of Diversity and Social Justice uh, that was posted in 2014. And it's it's an entry that talked about culturally responsive teaching. And it talked about how some believe that a contributing factor to the achievement gap is actually the lack of multicultural content in the classroom. And in the entry, they state that the education system has an approach where all learning techniques are applied to any student and teachers teach from a cultural place most representative to them. The entry continues by saying that this is problematic in low-performing schools with high minority populations. CRT, also known as culturally responsive teaching, focuses on teachers teaching with an understanding of the cultural makeup of their students and, like I said before, creating curriculum that resonates with the cultures represented in the classroom. So it's really focusing on um, who your students are, but it could also help in dealing with the achievement gap that we see between white and minority students because we're focusing on the content so the student and also the content and making sure the content is representative of the students so that's Mm -hmm. some of the research that i found so is there anything else that we kind of have to say about well i'm just going to say that it it makes sense that it could work to uh help in the achievement gap mainly because well probably a lot of different ways but what it makes me think of is that we make our students feel like they belong Yes. And and deserve to be in an academic setting. And that right there is going to help, I think, improve their achievement when they feel comfortable. And this is a spot where, you know, I'm supposed to be. Right. Well, that's really important, I think, especially here at GCC with our large number of first generation students. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily have that cultural capital coming from home to say, what office hours are, or that teachers are not, that professors, instructors are not going to be in the classroom when class isn't taking place. And and teaching our students some of those soft skills as well, I think is also encompassed in this because of the fact that they don't have that, you know, familial history of experience. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. And I know that um, some of us on campus engaged in some research over the last year regarding how to uh, 
help our online students be more successful. And I know that one of the emails I sent out to a, a higher achieving group of students, I said something in it like, you know, you guys are doing really well and you're you're good at this college thing. Like, you're doing everything you should do to be successful. And a student responded to that that no one had ever told him or her that that they were good at this. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes mm. I think when we talk about teaching practice or things like CRT, we are often thinking in terms of the achievement gap being our low-performing students. And sometimes, you know, culturally responsive teaching is for our high performers, our low performers. It's for everybody. Right. And we don't always give that sort of acknowledgement, praise, or information to our high-achieving students because we assume they know what they they're know. doing. Right, right, right. And, and, you know, I don't know any more about that student, but yeah, you're right. The, the first gen students could be highly successful and need to hear that message mm -hmm. just we, the same. We have to differentiate for our high achievers the same way we differentiate to bring our lower achievers up. So I'd like to take a moment to bring it really back to the entry that I referenced earlier from that talked about culturally responsive teaching and how they cited Latson's and Billings from 1994 and how uh, they stated that there are three components of culturally relevant teaching. First one is uh, the teacher's conceptions of themselves and others. The second one, the manner in which classroom social interactions are structured. And third, teacher's conception of knowledge and how all of these components are important to culturally relevant teaching, right? Especially, I think, the piece about uh, teachers' conceptions of themselves and others. I think if you are just really just teaching from your perspective, right, or maybe teaching kind of like a mirror image of yourself, I think is the best way I can describe it. So if you're an Asian teacher or a Hispanic teacher and you're teaching from that self, right? So maybe, um, which there's not, there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe it comes across as maybe kind of missing the, maybe the cultural component of the classroom, right? There, there could be so many different perspectives that you could bring into the classroom besides your own. Um, I think it's very, very important in CRT to kind of diversify that in the classroom to meet the population. So I thought that was really interesting, um, the point that the encyclopedia made as far as just some of the components of CRT. Okay. And then um, what what do we say? So what what do we say, Beth? I think you have you have some things to say. What what do we say here? Um, you know, I I think um, there there are some maybe common misunderstandings, um, at, at least maybe for people who've been teaching around as long as I have, when multiculturalism was sort of the trend where. Mm you know, oh, we're, we're going to uh, diversify the literature that we're teaching in our classes. And, you know, that's not really what we're talking about when we talk about culturally responsive teaching. That's, that's something different. It doesn't go as far, uh, I don't think. So uh, just to kind of be clear on that. Um, and then as we talked about at the beginning, I think not including those experiences and voices of students and, and their experiences and values is a disservice to them and um, so not allowing them to share or be part of the learning process or, or be part of that classroom is is I think just further isolating students who might already feel isolated right uh, a little bit and uh, and then Karen and I were talking about earlier before we started um, recording that 
CRT can really give students a place in academia, period. Like it makes them feel like they belong, right. potentially. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about my interest in this really comes from a place of it's almost like radical teaching because for so long the academy and academia and school has been exclusive and it's been for, you know, the financially elite and for many, many years men only and and all these different like exclusionary practices and CRT really helps to kind of dismantle some of that and create a space for all students and those who are kind of newer to the party, not really new, but you know, newer to pedagogy in terms of changing the way that we teach and the way that we learn, um, I think it's an important practice that kind of brings in student voices. So one of the things we always talk about in our episodes is how to get done whatever it is that we're talking about. Yes. So I think what we're going to do is ask Karen to share, you know, maybe two or three or four uh, practices that she recommends for teachers to sort of get into culturally responsive teaching or to start practicing it or maybe up their game because they're already doing something and maybe they need to just you know give it a boost so what what do you think Karen? well i think one of the first things that we have to recognize as instructors is that culture is central to student learning and where our students are coming from is going to affect the way that they learn and so it's important to recognize that, embrace that, and, and try to learn about that. It's not about coming into a classroom and being like, well, you know, oh, I have a large population of X students, and X students, you know, are known to be A, B, and C. Right. That was an awkward way of saying all of that. But right. <laughs> not making assumptions about our students, I think, is a big difference between, say, like that multicultural, you know, bend and, and actual culturally responsive teaching. That responsive piece is important. It's dynamic. So taking the time to recognize that culture is central to student learning and that it will help motivate students um, because you're going to get to know them in a different way. And so one of the ways that I try to do that in my own practice is I really, one, I try to get to know student names as soon as possible, and I make sure that I learn how to say their names correctly. Right. Um, And, you know, a lot of times your students, especially ones that have names that are maybe, you know, difficult for folks to say be like no it's fine you can just call me you know this and it's like no 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 no. i want to call you your name right i want to say your name correctly right and i mean my name's karen but it's spelled all sorts of funny and so my whole life when people read it tanisha i'm sure you've had maybe folks read your name funny because of the spelling i don't know yeah making assumptions there yeah um (laughs) but i want my name said correctly and so i want them to recognize that they have a right to demand that that be taken seriously so it's little things like that and so i use name cards for the, for the whole semester for myself to learn them quickly and then for them to learn each other's names because that's another component is creating a learning community. Um, let's see, what else? Um, I think it's really important when we start to think about um, CRT that we think about communicating high expectations for all of our students and not making assumptions about our students based on their background that they won't be able to achieve. All students want to be held to a high standard right. and it's our job you know, the competencies kind of help guide that. But even so, we want to make sure that we are recognizing learning styles, but also still saying, but you will be able to do these things by the end of the semester. Um, That student-centered instruction, I think, is really the largest piece. And that's something that we talk about across the board in pedagogy. You know, we talk about student-centered learning, and this is just another way of putting the student at the center of learning, including students' interests in the curriculum when you can, changing the curriculum itself to reflect the students in the classroom, not reflect the diversity of students, but reflect the students that are actually 
in the room right there. And so um, allowing for choice, it's just another way of differentiating instruction really, is allowing choice, allowing students to be a part of the design and development of mm-hmm. you know what we're using to learn. Right. Um, I think is kind of an interesting piece of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think that's all I have to say about that. Awesome. Maybe. I probably have a lot more to say, but. No, no, that's, that's very helpful. I could talk forever. What, what would you say, um, what's one tip you would give to a teacher who they feel like maybe they, they're already addressing uh, or they're already practicing some culturally responsive teaching, but they want to boost? One tip for them. Is that question too hard? No, it's not too hard. It's okay. just going to throw me under the bus. So I'm sorry. No, I talked about my interest in culturally responsive teaching starting a long time ago, and it did in practice, but not in theory. It wasn't until you came to my office, Beth, and oh. said, hey, Karen, I think you're doing some of these things. Will you present on these? Okay. Um, and I was like, Psh, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you handed me some resources, mm. and I started looking into it, and I realized that my teaching practice was already doing a lot of these things. Right. Um, I just didn't have a name for it. And so I think the biggest thing is if you think you're already engaging in culturally responsive teaching, then getting some of that, you know, theoretical background and really kind of delving in, I think, is probably a good starting place because it also has shifted and changed things that I was already doing well, but really, or not well, I don't want to say that I'm perfect, but but has really given me pause for why do I include this piece instead of this piece and, and what things can I do to increase you know, my response to my students. Okay. So it kind of like informs your practice a little bit more? Yeah. It's like it, you, you a better theoretical are already doing these things, mm-hmm. but now you have something that kind of explains the why you do it and how to do it that kind of helps in that sense? Well, absolutely. Because like I said, you know, this is another way of student-centered, you know, teaching is something that we're already talking about in many realms. And this is a different way of looking at how to center the student. So learning about culturally responsive teaching helps you center your student in a, another way that's not right. just based on their interest level, but also on their background, like where they're coming from, knowing the things about whether they're a first-generation student or not. And it's not about prying into their personal life, but it's about you know getting an idea of, of who they are. Right. Um, and in terms of like differentiated instruction, oftentimes we talk about differentiating instruction you know, for learning styles or for learning abilities or for, you know, skill development, but that also, that differentiation could apply to, you know, students' cultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I think this, this is great because of the fact that I feel that this style of teaching just adds another layer to student-centered, you know, teaching and learning. And I think it just adds more depth to what we're doing. I think we focus on breath, right? Like, what is your learning style? What is your name? What is your major? Uh, do you have a dog? Do you have a cat? Like, we might learn that personal information. And that's, for me, I think more surface information. But when you take it to, I feel like, the core of a student's being, which is culture. I think that culture is a, is a huge part of our core. And that goes into self-concept. And, yeah, I'm getting very teachy. But <laughs> um, core culture is a part of our core. So I think that adds um, a lot more depth to our teaching because we are speaking to who the who the students are as individuals and where they're coming from and how mm-hmm. culture is a huge part of who we are and and our, our center for being you might say and and the fact that you have an instructor who took the time to take you into consideration past what your name is right mm-hmm. I think it really screams a lot I, I feel like as a student I don't know I would feel maybe the value you know uh, like this this teacher cares and they've taken the time and 
you know, it makes me feel that, you know, who I am and my background matters. It's not just, oh, they just learned my name and we're just going through the content and that's it. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where, okay, well, we're learning about, uh, you know, uh, how to carry a conversation in in communication or maybe we're learning about some other concepts but then you add that other layer of culture which i think is 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 really really great yeah. I, oh go ahead well i was just going to throw one more thing out there which i don't think is culturally responsive teaching which is having a student in class be the sole representative of their culture and asking yes mm-hmm. oh yeah totally. okay i'm sorry so it's okay that i said that <laughs> Yes. Uh, and 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 having them, you know, explain on behalf of everybody. Yes, in culture, they are not whatever the... it is that the rest of us don't get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's not fair to ask the yeah. oppressed to yeah. teach. You know, they're not the spokesperson, right? Yeah, and it's and it's less about them sharing their background with the class and more about you responding to their needs in the classroom for their mm-hmm. learning. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. No, but that's that, that's a great point. Or do we want to move over to what's on the radar? Sure, we could talk about what's on the radar. Do you want to start with what's on your radar? Uh, I have a couple things on my radar. One is the 2018 Pod Network Conference. That should be on yes. your radar too. Tanisha, yes, it is on my calendar. Yes, Pod. Okay, <laughs> so that's in that's in November in Portland. Yes, in Portland. Um, so excited. You guys can Google that and look at more information about it. But the theme is leading in times of change. And uh, so we're super excited about that. I have a road trip coming up too. And I've been uh, indulging in the Audible sales. And so oh, I've yes. got several books that I'm going to be listening to, one of which is one of which was a National Book Award finalist. Uh, called Never Caught, which is a book about Ona Judge. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, a slave owned by George Washington, and it's about um, her escape and their pursuit. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And then also, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which I think a lot of people are reading and familiar with, because that's the book that Michelle McNamara was writing and almost finished, but then passed away suddenly and at a young age but this was her book about her quest to find the golden state killer and i i think i heard in the news too that somebody had been arrested yeah they used those crimes they used like ancestry dna kind of like dna to like link and find and it's crazy yeah so i'm excited to read that so that that's kind of what's on my radar um, what's on my radar? Um, I had to take a moment to look up some things. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was trying to remember um, because there's a blank spot right here. So Tanisha had to think of it. So uh, so things on my radar. Um, I, I finished Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, and it was awesome. It is definitely Black Panther with magic. That's the best way to really describe it. Um, the story was great. The characters are great. I was just engaged the whole time. Um, it's really complex. It has some really interesting themes that I really, really liked about mm-hmm. the book. So, yes, I love it. I highly recommend Children of Blood and Bone. Um, I'm also excited. Uh, I saw the trailer for The Hate You Give, um, mm-hmm. which is another book I read, I believe, by Angie Thomas. I, that is on my radar. I'm so excited for it. I can't wait for that to come out. So that is definitely on my radar. Um, another thing that's on my radar, um, I ordered uh, Robot Proof. 
I ordered this book called Robot Proof. So that is, I'm waiting for it. It's supposed to be shipping to my house today uh, from Amazon. So I'm hoping I get that soon. Uh, the book I'm currently reading, I, I finished Children of Blood and Bone. So I'm currently reading this book called Mastery by Robert Greene. I really, really enjoy it. Um, it's all about, I guess, how to become a master in whatever it is that you do. Uh, it's kind of something that's kind of been a bit of a, a point of focus for me lately. I've mentioned in earlier podcasts the 10,000 hours by uh, with Malcolm Gladwell and how you can become a master in 10,000 hours. So I'm on this personal quest to become a master teacher uh, and also to help others become master teachers as well. So I'm hoping this book will definitely give me some helpful information, not only for myself, but also to share with other people as well. Uh, so and another book that I'm reading is Coraline. I know I'm behind the times. I know it's by Neil Gaiman. I'm so I know, uh, but I'm, I'm I started that book as well. So it's just a lot of reading uh, is what I've been doing. Good for you, Karen. What's on your radar? I also am going to start reading Robot Proof. I've I've already supposed to have been reading it, but I'm a little behind. <laughs> um, a lot of catching up to do. But I um, bought at the beginning of summer, and again have not cracked it open yet. Um, a book um, by Steven Pinker. And it's called, um, what is it called? The Sense of Style. And so it's a book about kind of changing the way in which we look at um, writing style guides. So instead of, you know, the old elements of style, very rigid sort of thing, it gives kind of a more modern look at here's some really wonderful modern prose and here's some prose that maybe isn't great and and sort of rethinks the mold um, because I think it's really important that language evolves and that the rhetorical situation for our students does change based on who they are as the author and speaker. And so we have to find new ways of helping them express in an academic way without, again, cutting off their you know cultural background. So I think this is maybe a book that will help me rethink some of that. Awesome. Um, yes, listeners, you have a room full of readers here. So we've got a lot of books on our radar. <laughs> room full of nerds. We... we <laughs> We do other things. We but, do. But it is summer, and so there's a lot of reading. Well, it's either books or movies. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of those. So some movies. Yeah. Maybe that's other things on our radar. We'll, we'll have to... Th- Oh, I was going to say. Well, next that might episode, be a special edition because we are. Yeah, we we're, we're to, yeah. We might have to have some movies on our radar. Maybe that's our next episode. Movies okay. on our radar. We could have a whole podcast maybe. on movies. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So what's the nugget we're going to leave everybody with? I have one, but I know you like to do nuggets too, so I'll let you. Well, I think I'm gonna pass this nugget to you. Okay. So yeah, I what, what is the nugget, nugget you have? Yes. Um, I I just basically have as a nugget that all of us can listen better and increase our understanding of culturally responsive teaching. We can recognize that many of our students have valuable and different experiences uh, that can enrich the classroom and and make them feel a part of an, an academic setting. Yeah. Regardless of what we teach. Yeah. Yes. 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 Do you have a nugget? No, I think that the nugget is to keep listening to this podcast because <laughs> I think you all have such wonderful insights. Oh, oh thank okay. you. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. So I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. And I'm Karen. And thank you so much for joining us today on Two Props and a Pod. We hope that you'll join us the next time. 